Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. The Four Horsemen return to the big screen with another Robin Hood-type adventure featuring magic and the Eye of Mordor. Not really, but almost. Stay tuned as we discuss Now You See Me 2 on Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Anatomy of a Movie. Now You See Me 2. Also known as Now You See, now you see Me, the second act. Or, Now You See Me, Now You Don't. <laughs> Whichever much. one you prefer. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And we have Stephanie Wenger. Hi, everybody. Um, and I'm Phil Svitek. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. As always, we discuss these movies in depth, so it is spoiler-filled. If you haven't seen the movie, pause, go see the movie, then come back. Um, or, if you don't care to get it spoiled, then by all means. Um, as always, we include our rundown in the description, so look out for that. Um, that way you can follow along. Um, overall, i got to say... Uh, you know, fun movie, but, uh, you know, it's it doesn't quite live up to, to me as the first one because it didn't hit in that way. Um, and going through the research, there also wasn't a lot of research. Yeah, this is so very true. So this will true. be a light, a light, light episode <laughs> overall. It is very true. Um, I thought this was a very fun movie. I thought, and, you know, I really enjoyed the first one because I thought that it was a really solid, fun, entertaining movie as well. Um, I I liked the scenes isolated more so in this film. Say, like, you pick it apart and you watch it just by the scenes. I thought they were really well. Put it all together as a movie probably didn't live up to the first one. But, and I think the reveal for the first movie was a bigger and better than the reveal for the second movie. But isolated scenes were pretty fun and entertaining to watch. And you're talking about the magic specifically. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I agree with both of you. I really loved the first one and was excited when they announced the sequel to it. And then when I went in to see the movie, I was just a little underwhelmed. It's still a fun summer blockbuster, but it just, for me, there weren't as many surprising elements. And the magic didn't seem... Some of it seemed overblown, like it couldn't actually be done. And then some of it was a little underwhelming. So it was a weird mix for me. But I overall enjoyed it. I mean, the interesting part is a lot of the magic could happen. David Copperfield was a co-producer, and, and you know, obviously he's a fantastic magician. Um, so, you know, and, and I made sure Marissa pulled out some of the how to do this. And that's kind of like a, the thing, right? So you don't want it necessarily spoiled for you because then the, the illusion is spoiled. But, you know, by then, because it's a movie, you go, oh, that's just movie magic. And so you kind of have to, like, dig a little bit deeper. Um, the thing... The thing that I think this movie suffers most from is that it had to explain the eye or go further about what the eye was and it has to make it like this weird entity and if they were just like people that were just got together and were doing good through magic and, you know, they could still like take down CEOs and and corrupt people, but I think the eye just hinders it. I think that's the only like real snafu I have with the the series. Interesting. I don't think that... I really heard it either because, I mean, the eye was introduced in the first one, and that was a mystery, and I think the eye is still kind of a mystery, even though we learned a little bit more in this one. I think it's just cool to now know the idea that it's not, it didn't just start with these four people coming together 
over the, you know, the love of magic. It, it's been an ongoing thing for technically centuries now. And then, like, uh, so the, it's like this, they're just this generation of people who've been doing it forever. But I don't, I, I guess what I'm saying, I don't need the Da Vinci Code for magicians. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I, I yeah. That. I thought that it was interesting that they had to kind of, with that legacy of of this group, they were able to also replace members and add add a new member. And, and also, this was from the notes that Isla Fisher, who was in the first movie, was pregnant during the filming of the second movie, so they re- essentially replaced her, um, and she wasn't able to do the project. And that worked really well for me. Like, I... I didn't feel like, oh, where's Isla Fisher? That wasn't my feeling throughout this movie. So, and sometimes you do have that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't recast her. They just kind of, it was a new addition because yeah. I hate when they do that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. They, they made it very known of like, okay, this is a new person. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it works. <laughs> yes. Henley's gone. Yeah. Um, but I, I did I did like what, you know, Lizzie brought to th- this character because it was a completely different person. And, and I like she brought a different tone and feel to the and a different dynamic to that group because Isla, I mean, she's fun. She was the sweet face person that everyone just loved, and she was there. And she again, she was female. But I think you know, uh, what what was her character's name? Uh, the oh my goodness, I am completely uh, Lola. Lola, thank you, Lula. Lula, that's it. Um, I think Lula brought a little bit like more spice, a little bit, a little bit more pizzazz. I think they also were able with her to the in the first one the love interest felt a little forced if I recall it was like mm-hmm. you had this kiss at the end of the movie and you were kind of like well this wasn't what this movie was about at all but all right um, and this felt a little more like she had this flirtation with Dave Franco's character it felt a little more organic in having if you want a love story in there I, I appreciated that mm-hmm. yeah let me ask you guys this before we fully even dive in um, based off the success of the, of the first one Lionsgate. You know, greenlit this, um, and again, overall, I enjoyed it. But uh, you know, Lionsgate the, the, now with Hunger Games kind of done, they're looking for a franchise, and is this gonna be their franchise? Like, you know, it, it, I enjoyed it, but it's not like I was necessarily looking for Now You See Me too specifically. You know, and I was excited, but I see, I was the exact opposite. I really enjoyed the first one and was super excited when they announced. The second one, and I think I went in with super high expectations, which is probably why I was a little more mixed on the film. Uh, but I don't think that this is like the answer to Hunger Games. No. Like it's it's not doesn't have that kind of fanfare around it. Exactly, and I I believe that too because you remember the Hunger Games. There was a whole book series that already had its cult following from that, and that will translate to whoever's going to go see the movies. And you know this series didn't have that, so it's a fun movie to watch. But you, would you read a book about this? Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't think he, he flips the car. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's it has different followings for this type of series compared to the Hunger Games series. Well, speaking of followings, I saw this with a group of friends, and one of my friends goes, "Do you think that they put Daniel Radcliffe in it, who's obviously Harry Potter, um, in it to pull some of the Harry Potter fans in? It's another magic movie, like." And I was like, "That's an interesting thought. I don't, I don't know. I mean, ob- obviously, there, there's." There's an appeal to Daniel Radcliffe, but I, I you know, I don't know. I, it, it'd be interesting to see. They provide it for some movies, and we've done it in the past, where like how much you expect a certain actor to actually bring in percentage-wise of the, you know, uh, box office. Um, 
we don't have that for this movie, unfortunately. But I think it's too. The reason why I like this type of movie is that. Yes, they're both magic, but this is like illusions, you know, mm-hmm. um, versus like actual magic with a wand, you know, and that's a it's two separate worlds. This is more based as much as it can be in reality, just taking it to a logical extension. Whereas that's like okay, we got dragons and stuff. Right. I mean, they are completely different magics, obviously, but I think even during the whole marketing. You know, when we had Daniel Radcliffe and all the trailers and posters, they're always like the most famous wizard can't do magic. You know, it was like that was a selling point to try to get in audience. the trailers. Yeah, interesting. And, and in I posters, that was a big marketing thing for them. Like the most famous mm-hmm. wizard can't do magic. That's funny. So let's go see this movie. Yeah, it just yeah. Now that you say that, it just seems a little exploitative because it's like they but have nothing to do with anything. Yeah, I mean, I think Daniel Radcliffe's a great actor, so in that capacity, like, it's great to have him in this bunch, but he, um, it is interesting to kind of pull those two audiences together, because I don't think Harry Potter fans are necessarily now you see me fans. As you said, it, it's, they're very different. One's fantasy, yeah. one's like a caper movie. Yeah. In terms of genre. <laughs> I completely agree, yeah. And I like them both, but I don't know that everyone is in that same category. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so let's uh, let's talk kind of again. There's there's not much on this. Uh, we have new writers for this: um, Ed Solomon, who did the screenplay, and Peter, very Italian. Really? Yes, very Italian name. <laughs> um, they're the ones who who came up with the story um, based off of the characters from the first one, um, and this is this is what we get. Um, so let's let's talk plot, right? Um, you know, what, what did you guys think of? Because they they tied in a lot of the characters from the first one, obviously, um, which was good to see. Um, whether uh, Thaddeus, um, you know, played by Morgan Freeman, or you know, Tressler's kind of back. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think of you know that kind of inclusion of it? I liked it. I mean, it it makes sense for how the first movie ended, framing uh, Thaddeus. And, you know, and getting bankrupt seeing Tressler. So, like, of course, those are two guys who have been in the industry for so long and they get been done wrong by these four horsemen. So it makes sense that the characters would be mad and want to come back for, to enact revenge or anything or justice more so. But I, I like them. They're great actors. So, like, I, I don't think they did anything wrong with the story. And it's fun to have them back, too. Um what do you guys think? Because um, if you look at it in hindsight, the setup is pretty much the same uh, where it opens up with Thaddeus and, and, you know, he's kind of – he's going after these guys, which is similar to um, what Mark uh, – what Dylan Rhodes did in the first one. And then the reveal is that Dylan was kind of behind all this all along and he wanted them to succeed. That's kind of the same thing with um, with Thaddeus is that he wanted them to succeed because he's part of the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they definitely didn't, I felt like, go outside the box of what the first one was. Like, it felt like they kind of made everything grander, but it didn't, it wasn't a new plot to me in in any ways. It it was... Recycled. Yeah. uh, Thank you. Recycles. (laughs) What a great way of... (laughs) How about upcycle? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, So, and that was a little bit of a disappointment, because I think part of what made the first one so great was that... At least I wasn't expecting the ending of it. And this, you if you saw the first one, you started to be able to 
put those puzzle pieces together. They brought them to China and did some different things, but ultimately it kind of circled back to the China thing. was really cool. Yeah, China was, <laughs> was, was, was really awesome. great. I kind of yeah. want to go there. Um, I agree with that because, yes, it was definitely recycled because I felt like this sequel definitely had the same format and the same beats as the first one, especially with all the individual skits or, you know, performances they were doing that all tied into a bigger performance at the end, it had the same feel as the first one. Yeah, and I think the first one they like jumped from building to building, and this was like more on the waterfront. And I was like, well, yeah. changing a location doesn't make it so yeah. different. I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily upset with the kind of the performance at the end, only because um, what I liked about it, they're playing with the expectations of Tressler as well. Um, you know, they're anticipating, and, and the way that the cops are trying to catch them, it's like, okay, we know what they're going to do. And so, all, in all, it, it, it's fun because these people are playing into the hands of the four horsemen. Um, so it's a little bit different in that way, but I agree the, you know, the beats kind of throughout, you know, the greater ones are are kind of more, more on the nose. And, and the fun really becomes uh, the, the magic throughout. I mean, what, what was your guys' favorite magic scene? I loved the cards um, when they were, I guess, in Imprinting. that. Yeah, exactly. And that mm-hmm. that was so incredible. Also, some of the camera work in that was insane. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I definitely think that whole heist vault scene was just phenomenally overall awesome. And again, I said, like, if you isolate this scene and just, like, put it up as a clip on YouTube, it's awesome to watch. Rather, like, throughout the plot, whatever, it's just cool to watch. And I think that's what really had this movie going for them. There are a lot of cool scenes to watch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know who's, again, who's responsible for that, but um, David Copperfield, right, knowing that he's a uh, co-producer on this, I mean, he's able to tell stories with his um, uh, illusions, right? And they're iso- they're almost like isolated short films. Mm-hmm. And in, in some ways, I kind of felt like what this was a little bit. Um, so, uh, you know, were you... What do you? Th- where are you guys at with the eye? Because that's the biggest question mark in my mind. Is like, what is this eye? It's just the mystery. We get a couple more pieces, but then as we get closer to an answer, a thousand more questions mm-hmm. and I come think, up. I think that's purposeful because they, uh, not to jump ahead, but they've already announced that they're like in product or not in production, but in development for a sequel to this movie, a third Now You See Me in the series. So I think... A threequel. A threequel. Um, and so I I think that they don't want you to have all the answers. If you had all the answers walking out of number two, why in the world would you go see number three? Mm-hmm. I'm worried that they're writing themselves in a corner where they're like, it, how can you explain this eye? Well, that- well, maybe the third plot is like the whole revealing of who the eye is. Yeah, but but, but like, is it going to live up to expectations? To and I know we're you know again we're kind of jumping, but you know might as well just talk about it. Like I, I don't know how you can explain it in a satisfying way for all the fans. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, I think also uh, again issue I had with this movie was that it was it became a little convoluted, and I think that's part of the issue you're having with the eyes that it it. It exactly. It sprouted more questions than answers for me. And at the end of a movie, I want some resolution. Even if I know there's a number three in the pipeline, I still want to walk away somewhat satisfied. And this movie left me just being like, well, now I need to see number three because I have all these questions. Yeah. And then but, number four. <laughs> and and number eight and, all, and everything in between. Yeah. It's just going to be like, I feel like they've put themselves in a place where 
they can just make these every two years and yeah hopefully it'll pump money and i I think my biggest question is more so like who else is involved in the eye now because morgan freeman's been under our noses the whole time and he's been part of the eye the whole time so like are there other characters that we've seen or don't haven't seen yet that are part of the eye who will come into effect I think here's how I can best explain it, and this is probably just going to make sense to Stephanie and probably none of the other viewers, but uh, hopefully it does. It's almost like when Gossip Girl had to reveal who Gossip Girl was, and they were painted in such a strange corner that, you know, they they kind of, whatever plot holes there were, they kind of bypassed and just took the big ones that made sense for it, and were like, hey, this is why it makes sense. Forget about this, though. Okay, so I totally agree with the comparison because I think we have used this movie, um, the first one, Now You See Me, as a comparison in Pretty Little Liars and many of the other shows that I do at AfterBuzz because I apparently do a lot of things about solving a mystery here, which is whatever. But um, I I think that this, for Gossip Girl, they were... They really kind of explained how it was Dan in, in the end. Sorry. Spoiler! Oh my god, I didn't spoil it! But my thanks, bone. Stephanie. So sorry, guys. By the way, I'm sure our largely male demo will be jumping to gossip all of a sudden. Darn it, Stephanie, I was going to binge it, too. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Um, but uh, they were, it's how, like, they built out how, and this, a lot of the issue I had with it was, at the end, it wasn't really explained how. Like, the how, it was kind of like, you saw all along, but I, I wanted more of an explanation, I guess. Hmm. Like, it, you know, one of the things I had, hadn't done was go back and see the first one now with this knowledge. Because, yeah, it would be interesting to see Thaddeus um, and how the notion that he's in the eye now plays into that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and whatnot. Yeah. So we'll see. And if, if you guys are in the comments section, let us know if it does track for you. You know, it they might think it tracks, but it might not track for you, or maybe it does track for you. Maybe they'll go to Egypt because apparently that's where it originated. So everything originates in Egypt, of course it does. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, but but to me, the fun, right? I, I the reason I keep bringing this up is only because I don't want to get bogged too far down in that regard because then it's like the movie has to explain itself rather than just be fun. Uh, you know, for people just doing good with magic that to me is the crux of the movie that's that's what made the first one just amazing fun i think it would have been interesting in this one to have one of the horsemen who veered off like yes you had you know all these people who are doing good with magic as you said but have somebody who kind of starts using magic a rogue a rogue, exactly, and I think that that would you would tell a different story with that. I just well, what about what about, what about Woody Harrelson's um, brother? Because you could consider that in in a way. No, yeah. of course they had to be the evil twin brother. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's a bit of that's a cliche. such a trope that I'm so I was not sold on that. I'm like, really. But it was fun because they had the same sort of power, if you will, of just hypnosis and um, you know, kind of how that played into each other. Oh, I f- you know, and they were just using against each other. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson's so good. I mean, he's great, and it was great to have two of them. But the idea that, of course, is the evil twin brother. I just think it's such a cliche. And a, it is. And, and, like, an obvious cliche at that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've seen the cliche too much. I mean, maybe in bad, but I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like it's always, if there's, like, uh, it, going back to Pretty Little Liars, it's like, that's the twin. Like, it's all, it's always like, 
who's doing the bad thing. It's now you've twin. lost me in the reference. I don't know. I don't watch Pretty Little <laughs> It has Lies. to be the twin. Yeah, it's always the twin is the bottom line. Yeah. Got it. Um, speaking of uh, Woody Harrison, before we uh, move on, I do want to tell you guys a movie coming out next week in theaters and on demand. It's called The Duel. And I, I guess what? It is starring Woody Harrelson. What? But don't worry, not just him as well, even though that would be fantastic as well. Uh, Liam Hemsworth is also in it, um, and it's a fantastic movie, another Lionsgate movie, so there's, there's a connection already there. Um, it's, it's a Western, right? It's a thrilling Western adventure starring these two guys coming out June 24th. Uh, it's called The Duel, and it follows Texas Ranger uh, who investigates a series of murders in a small town led by a charismatic preacher played by Harrelson. Uh, however, the routine undercover investigation soon turns personal for the ranger who must solve the case before he loses everything to the mysterious town. So, speaking of uh, mysteries and things of that nature, I love westerns, number one. And number two, again, one of the reasons I'm drawn to this movie is because um, the mystery aspect of it. I like good investigations. Marissa, you love these types of things, too. I do too, like so. mystery. And I like Woody Harrelson, so I'll definitely go see this film. Also, these guys were both, um, correct me if I'm wrong, in Hunger Games. That's so, right. So mm-hmm. another... Another Lionsgate movie. <laughs> yeah, another Lionsgate movie, but, yeah. but fun to see them reunited on screen. That's right. So, um, again, that's The Duel. It's coming out June 24th uh, to theaters and on man. Definitely check it out. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think this... The, the trailer and everything looks fantastic, so I'm excited to see it. Um, you guys should definitely check it out as well. Um, and let us know what you guys think, by the way. You know, uh, I always love getting your guys' opinion. But back to Woody Harrelson in this Lionsgate movie. Now you see me, too. Uh, you know, uh, okay, so you guys didn't like the evil twin brother. I didn't mind it. <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't just... like the idea of an, another evil twin brother. I thought it was well acted, by the way. Like, I yeah. had no issue with the way it was done in this film. It just, the storyline being that it, like, all came back to this, like, evil twin. I was a little over that. It just feels a little played out. And, it, and yeah, and I think it was the whole idea of telling the audience, okay, which guy do we root for? Obviously, our Woody Harrelson merit is the good guy. So we, we know he's not the bad one. So it's, it's like, okay, we're... Because in the storyline, you always get to the idea, like, who do you trust? Because even the four horsemen are, like, mistrusting each other. And even the audience is like, okay, should we trust Merit? Is he a bad guy? But when we find out his twin brother is there and he went astray, you're like, okay, no, he's actually good. So, I mean, it helped in that way for the story. Yeah, you know, what? Uh, you brought up something good, Marissa, the, the distrust of the four horsemen, right? Um, I like that because... You know, in terms of what was most intriguing, that that to me um, played really well. Of okay, who's the leader? Is it Dylan? Is it uh, is it uh, Atlas and whatnot? And and it kind of grew in that way. And um, you know, obviously uh, Jack Wilder wanted to be a better hypnotist <laughs> um, and whatnot. What did you guys think of the dynamic? Because I, I I thought it played really well. I mean, the dynamic is always great. I, I liked how there are different age ranges, too. I mean, you, you have Woody Harrelson, he's not old, but like he's part of the older generation compared to we have Atlas and, you know, even, heck, even Daniel Radcliffe. 
Um, just that I think they bring the, the younger demographics too, and you know, throwing Lizzie Kaplan in there. So it's like, and then you have Morgan Freeman and and you know, uh, Michael Caine. So it's like there's a big demographic um, for the audience, and I think the way that they acted with each other just flowed nicely. Yeah, I think they have really good chemistry on screen, and you wouldn't necessarily looking at these actors individually think like, yeah, a movie with all of those would totally work, and somehow it really. It does. Their chemistry is one of the strongest parts of this movie. And I like how, you know, they also made Atlas be that slight on the older side of it all. Because, the you know, as you guys mentioned earlier, Jack and uh, Lula, their relationship, their flirtation, um, you know, it made Atlas seem a little bit older. Which, again, he's not, but, but in comparison to those two, um, he is. So I enjoyed that rather well. Um you know, and I also like the fact that they are teaching each other, um, you know, it becomes, before it was like, okay, everyone, everyone's, whatever, we'll call it the superpower, even though it's not an actual superpower. But e- each of them has a speciality in, in magic, and it gets utilized f- for the best. Now, I like the fact that they're teaching each other, and, you know, there's there's that crossover, you know, they can all do cards now, at least to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing the various forms of hypnosis. You know, obviously that's a big plot point with with Jack being able to learn it towards the end. Um, so I thought that again, that to me is the most interesting part of this entire franchise is just those four horsemen. Yeah, and I think there there was that moment in the movie. They're like, okay, we can only pull this off if we all work together. You know, starting at the beginning of the movie where they were all literally in, on their own. And they were kind of distrustful of each other to the point where, like, all of them together came together um, to pull it off. I like that. And I think that's also why Beyond the Magic, uh, the scene where they're trying to get through security and they're tossing the the microchip, I believe it is, mm-hmm. um, back and forth. And it, it shows that level of teamwork, that they're all in it together and they're not going to leave somebody behind or like have someone take the fall for the group. Like they're all working together to make this happen. And, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And you know, um, one of the other things I mentioned was, um, when they traveled to China, right? What I liked about that was, um, we go to the magic shop that's you know um and obviously their dynamic is great because that's when kind of the 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 mistrust and whatnot is is heightening up but uh seeing those um you know various devices in magic that to me was a lot of fun from a production standpoint yeah i liked it because you know it's the whole idea of magic always had to come from somewhere and there was like all these old magic tricks that were there in the shop that they were learning and that they actually used. So, you know, the origins of where people started and how they used stuff, I, I think that was pretty cool. And even at the magic shop, we got the whole, generally, that kind of helped with the backstory of Shrike. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there were a lot of different stories that played into this movie. Yeah, I think you could even do more in terms of, I felt like this movie had a lot of opportunities for flashbacks in that, like, why kind of the history of magic a little bit more and I know that might not be an exciting topic but I think there was an interesting way to interweave it into this movie and and it was a missed opportunity at least in this one but maybe in the third Hmm. maybe we'll see I mean you know you know it's good that you point that out because yeah I mean the whole notion is when they're kind of revealing their Scooby-Doo-esque like here's how we pulled it off they're using flashbacks yeah yeah Uh, so 100% um Story-wise, anything that you guys else want to discuss? 
Well, I did quickly mention Shrike. We did get the backstory a little bit of of Rhodes. Mm-hmm. And because even in the first one, they mentioned Shrike for like a minute. And then they literally stopped talking and then it went to the live performance. So they, they there was a small setup and then we got it a little bit more. And But there's still the whole idea that we still never found the body of his father. So it makes me question, is his father part of the eye? Is his uh, father still alive? I think he probably at this point will be. It's just not revealed. He's probably going to be the head of the eye. He's probably going to be the big reveal in the third movie. Spoiled it for you. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, who knows? We'll see. What happened? What happened to the? Remember um, the the girl, the 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 police girl, the French girl. Yeah, in the, the first, first one. one? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a plot hole that just got left. You know, because yeah. that was—I remember that—that that was like the cheesiest line in the first one of like, "Hey, I had calculated everything, but the one thing I didn't equate for was love." Yeah, <laughs> it, the love storyline in the first one really just felt like a random addition to me. You were like, "Okay, it's a whole movie about magic," and then we're just gonna, it, yeah, and that—and I think they didn't pick that up and kind of instead chose a different love storyline. That was kind of my thought. I don't think they just totally. Yeah, it was an intentional drop. I, yeah, I saw it more so. I was like, "Okay, let's wrap this character up." Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just thought I'd point out that sort of plot hole. But like, yeah. what was she? If she was in this film, what would she have done? I don't think there was really a story for her. Well, I I did like the whole idea of, you know, who's fooling the cops and things like that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that obviously the the duality of Dylan initially, I I, I enjoyed that of him. Because you got to remember, like, you know, he was in, in the first movie, he was such a bumbling cop. And obviously it's tough to play now because we as an audience know that he's not that. Um, but yet he has to pretend for his his superiors. So, it, you know, I thought Mark did a great job with those scenes. Yeah. And handling that. Because it is tough, you know, to, to once an audience knows the trick of it. Right. To, and I'm glad they right. didn't, you know, stretch that out in the second film either because that was easily revealed to, you know, the, the FBI that he was a part of it. So, like, um, we, we already knew that. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely true. Um, all right, so let's talk about the production aspects of it. Um, Marissa, would you like to tell us about what you learned today about the waterfall <laughs> trick? Um, very cool, actually. I, I love debunking things. Uh, so there, the waterfall trick is actually based off of this, what they call motion after effect, which is also what they, in layman's term, called the waterfall illusion. But pretty much, it's their... So there could be in like images or with they in the film they use strobe lights and the flashing of black and white and whatnot. But it's actually it causes the the cells in the brain that are sensitive to certain direction of movement to get tired, and because those brain cells are tired, it activates cells that respond to the opposite direction of movement. So once we see waterfall like literally falling from top to bottom, and those cells get tired then the brain tricks itself to thinking that movement is actually going from bottom to top. So hence the water is going up instead of down. Um, I think that's pretty neat. And and that adds with there's actually a lot of science that goes behind these tricks um, for the film. Absolutely. And and, uh, 
uh, Stephanie, you, you managed to pull some quotes from uh, from the director on shooting some of this magic. Do you want to? Yeah. Read so a few? I think um, let me see if I can find them. Oh yeah. So um, it's always a challenge to shoot magic in a movie because magic really happens in person. You want to know that there's no strings attached, nothing up their sleeves. So we take big efforts to make as many things um, practical as possible. And what I find so interesting about that is that. Because you do question it. You're like, oh, okay, CGI, like, that's the majority of this movie. And when you actually go into it, they they really tried to make it as real as possible. And I think of the Magic Castle here in L.A., and when you see that in person, it's incredible. And if that's what they're accomplishing on a major scale like this, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. And, and the tough part is always for a movie like this is the editing. Right. Whereas um, a lot of magic that you see, you know, if you see get, get to see sort of specials, um, it's always kind of like a, a long, wide shot of the entire performance. So that way, again, the, the thing doesn't cut away and you might get like a lower picture in picture with like close ups. But again, the wide shot never cuts away because then that breaks the illusion. Mm-hmm. And so in a movie, obviously, every time you cut your that's yeah. what you're doing. You're breaking the illusion <laughs> yeah. and allowing that, you know, inviting the criticism, if you will. Yeah, I mean, th- there was a shot in the, I know we're talking about the second movie, but the first movie where, you know, Jesse or um, Daniel Atlas, you know, he's getting interrogated and he has the handcuffs and he throws them and goes on to Rhodes' hand. And the, uh, they actually revealed how that was happened. That was actually editing. And visual effects, like the, so, that was like true ma- movie magic. But um, but for this, you know, even in the the whole heist vault scene with the whole card, which was awesome, by the way, the, there were a lot of shots that they actually did, um, like all the palms tricks in one shot. So like, and they know the the movement in the camera, you can't cut away because that would break the illusion. Yeah, and what was fun about that scene? Um, I think because this was the sort of the first time in both movies that we've gotten a behind-the-scenes look as it's happening, mm-hmm. right? You know, because they could have easily done it um, and then the reveal of like, oh, we just had it behind our hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you wouldn't have believed. Now, there, there's that level of like, okay, wait, can the guy really not see it? Or mm-hmm. is he just that dumb? Or like, are they really that good? But, um, again, with the music and, and the way it's paced... Um, and Lula makes it fun. I mean, oh, do you want my bra? <laughs> that was fun. Um, so I think they, they, they really played it well, and um, that was a great performance on a behind-the-scenes aspect of it. I agree. And I think also um, she really does make it something different. Like you had Isla Fisher who had one whole personality, and then she brings something else. And I, you would never imagine Isla Fisher's character pulling out her bra, for yeah. example. Like, that's not something she would do. And so they really didn't try to do, like, Isla 2.0. They they went for a different character, and that was something, brought new elements to the film. Yeah. yeah. She was different she was a blast that when, when she cut off her arm. <laughs> that's fine. Spicy. Yeah. That's what I'd definitely say. Um, for Yeah, for the whole vault scene, it's, it's pretty cool how they shot it. Uh, they, you know, there were a lot of shots where when the card's going through the shirt, but how they technically shot it, they used oversized shirts, but they used lipstick cameras um, that would go from one sleeve to sleeve. But and they would actually shake the the clothes to give that the real natural movement of you know uh, clothing. But it's pretty cool how it goes from like arm to one arm to the other arm, and uh, that so Keith Berry, who's also one of the um, 
consultant. Uh, he's a mentalist, he, and they, he consulted on the first film and this one. He, he revealed that the actors actually did a lot of the card tricks themselves when they were filming. Like, they're the ones actually flicking the cards and bouncing it off of people's backs and whatnot. So, like, they actually had a lot of training for the cardistry, which is pretty neat. Do we know who was best and who was worst? I think Dave Franco was on a late-night show uh, last week promoting this, and he was trying to do, like, the card, like, um, like tossing cards and, I think, like, knocking over things with cards. And he was, like, 50-50, I would say, on it. Like, it was <laughs> it was a mix. So I, I don't know which of the actors, if that's what you meant, w- was best at it, but... Yeah, well, because you could imagine it being um, somewhat of a competition on set of, like, yeah. oh, geez, oh, <laughs> you can only do that? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave Franco also did say in interviews that um, when Now You See Me won rapped that he still was practicing with the cards and cardistry and whatnot. Like, he, he kept that hobby going. So and he, he's had probably more practice than the other actors. Yeah. But um, it, it's pretty neat because there was that shot where... Um, the, the audience saw it via the camera, but um, he did, like, three different card palms, but that was all in one shot, and that was him actually doing it. And the the uh, camera people, the, the production crew, couldn't tell because it was so fast, and they said for the audience who are watching could tell, but the, when the actual crew were filming it, they couldn't. So he, he was really that good. Nice. Yeah. That's always fun to hear. Yeah, I, I, I like Dave Franco, and I know, um, you know, one of his main goals is to not be compared to his brother and kind of make a name for himself. Um, and I think I think he's doing it. I just don't think of, like, I don't think you would cast James Franco if you wanted Dave Franco. He's starting to make, like, real comedic inroads as well as kind of more in the action or caper movies. Like, I don't think James you would necessarily see in the films that he, he's done Neighbors, Dave, and other things like that. And it's just mm-hmm. a very different style of film. Yeah, but but James has done comedy too. Whether uh, this Pineapple is the Express. end, Pineapple Express, yeah. um, uh, the interview. So like, it, but and they're both incredible actors. But just again, two different actors that can handle the same weight, whether it's drama, you know, or uh, comedy. Yeah, and I think you know James has been around a little bit longer, and he's done more films that actually can go more character in-depth, you know, say, like, 127 hours. So, like, I, I think we've seen more acting range from James than his brother, but that doesn't say that Dave's not capable of it either. I think that just goes with Dave's movie choices and what he wants to do in the future. If he wants to go serious, then by all means, do it. I think he also is really of, like the YouTube generation, Dave, he does, like, Funny or Die, and he really is more in that realm, and James tends to be a little more, yeah, he's done the 127 Hours, he um, has all these other side projects outside of the entertainment industry, so he, um, I think it's just, like, very different interests as well. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Um, What did you guys think of the music overall? Um, I thought I thought because uh, the music plays a big part in it, right? It's it, much like a me- uh, an illusion on stage. You have to have the music to accompany it. It's a performance, um, and I thought o- overall it, it worked really well. I, I mean, I always enjoyed the music because even the first one, um, it really felt like someone was like chasing me. That like, oh my goodness, I'm part of this magic trick, and you know the whole adventure, thrilling. And I, I noticed it was pretty much the exact same movie or music in the second one, which I enjoyed because the first one was so well, um, it was that great. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the music in this. I always have an issue when music takes me out of a film. Um, like, if it's something where it's like, yeah, that pop song I've heard a hundred times on the radio, that drives me crazy. And um, this felt like very organic to what they were trying to create and really drove the story forward rather than taking you out and being like, oh, that's a cool song that I've heard a hundred times before. And, I, and I, love, I love the theme for the reveals, you know, like the, the big kind of orchestral, you know, whatever. if Dimitri was here, he's a score guy, I can't describe it, but mm-hmm. it's just, when it just hits, it hits and, you know, you, you get this overwhelming sense of like, oh yeah, things are happening. I think the music works really well in these films because, I mean, the whole story is like magic tricks. So that's something that you generally have to watch. And it's, it's a visual. Um, There's a know. kinetic energy yeah, to it's it. It's a visual treat for us. And then when you add music to it, it kind of just enhances it already and yeah. makes it better than what it already was. Absolutely. Um, so... As we move into box office, so the the movie cost uh, ninety million production wise. Um, it was estimated to make between twenty three and twenty six million, um, and opening weekend it made twenty three and change million. So yeah. it, it hit its projection overall. Yeah, I mean, and twenty three is actually pretty good. I mean, that's not compared to like the six million as pop star. <laughs> But I, I mean, shots it's, fired. I know. <laughs> but hey, I mean, we did that one too. Uh, it, I think that's a fairly solid opening for a sequel. And if they were saying like it wanted to open to fifty, I think that's kind of ridiculous. But I think they already had a set goal and they already hit it. So good for them. Yeah, I think it's also a summer of minus Marvel films, which you know are its own category. But it has been a summer that it's been tough to have a huge hit. Like it hasn't happened. It's only June. We have more to come, obviously. But um, these, like, I think that for this summer, this is a great box office. Yeah, and for the summer, there are a ton of sequels coming out. Yes. A bunch of sequels. I mean, we have. I mean, the Conjuring, Conjuring two. Finding Dory 2, Now You See Me 2, and then we had like the whole, the, all the Marvel movies, though those are already, you know, sequels to themselves. And I mean, it seems like every big movie right now, they're all just sequels. Well, there is um, an article recently just came out uh, how box office is just down in general for mm-hmm. the year. Mm-hmm. And unless something really good starts happening, like it's, it's going to be a really off year. Yeah. Well, it's, it's because Star Wars. Came out right before, um, I guess, before this year. It was, what was that, November? Was December. 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 Um, so I think that you don't have one of the, like, that was the big, like, tentpole that everybody was talking about. And I, it'll be interesting to see if Ghostbusters or one of these other films this summer can pull. Well, you have Rogue One, but it's, you know, I mean, yeah. there's the difference between Episode 7 versus Rogue One. Like, I think there's going to be enough people that go see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's like, just... Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's like Ghostbusters and Rogue. Those are already movies based off of stories and characters that have already, you know, developed. They're like we already have those followings. Like these aren't original storylines. Now you see me. The first one was kind of original in and of itself. And and like I think we just need a nice new big movie that's not a sequel. That's an original movie. But people see the interesting part is people say they want originals, and then there's plenty of good original movies out there that people aren't going to see. So it's like, okay, well, what do you want? Yeah, yeah exactly. 
It seems right now, like, things based on books and other content are kind of the things that are getting the widest, biggest releases, and people are actually going to see them. The, the more original films are, for good or bad, getting smaller. Smaller Unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's movies like these that you can definitely tell, like, which movies were made out of love and which movies were made just for to make more money. Yeah. Industry. Quite unfortunate. Well, um... Speaking of that, audiences gave it a name minus, which is the same score as the original, which is that's a good that's score. Good. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, however, and critics disagree and gave it a 34, Ouch. saying, Now you see me two packs, even more twists and turns than its predecessors, predecessor, but in the end, it has even less hiding up its sleeve. Mm, I mean, I, I can kind of see where they went with that. I mean, I we saw a few cool tricks in here that when they were revealed to us, I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. But I think also what kind of worked against their story was that they had a lot of technology. I mean, even Daniel Radcliffe's character, um, Melpy, all of his reveals were all technology. And I think that might have hindered, oh, you're taking away the science, you're taking away the actual effort of setting up a humongous trick at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that this movie, um, the first one, as you mentioned, it, it did feel original, new, something different in the box office. And I think this, it, it didn't feel that way because it's a sequel and it, and it shouldn't. I mean, you want it to feel the same, but it didn't have that, like, what's going to happen next. I wasn't as, like, gripped by it as the first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Um, well, we talked about, obviously, there being another sequel. Um, the Real quick, because we didn't quite discuss it. We touched upon it slightly, but um, as we wrap up, I, I want to talk about the, the relationship between Dylan and Thaddeus and the reveal of them, because that, that is the big sort of twist, if you will, that, um, you know, it was all a trick in the end. They were, uh, you know, the whole trick was them being enemies, even though they were actually friends. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that as a reveal and, you know, now what that means for the... I mean, I think that's good that it kind of shows maybe the idea that it is the magicians, it's all a big community, and it kind of becomes a family by extension. And I I like it shows the idea it's like not everyone is out to get the horseman, that there are more people who do all these magic tricks for good. And, like, there is a bigger network that they can connect to and have more friends than foes. Yeah. I agree. I think it also opens the door to, um, again, in, in this next movie, having maybe a larger group of horsemen. Could could you add Ten horsemen? <laughs> could you have? Could you? But could you realistically add a couple more? And what would that look like? And could they become a stronger team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one group pairs up with another group. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, to me, I guess the. You know what will eventually become the issue if it if it doesn't get explained is um, they're just going to feel like pawns. It's like okay, well, you know, we keep getting more and more reveals, but who's ultimately in charge? Because we don't even know. We keep doing these things, and we don't really know. We think it's doing good, but who is it ultimately for, and who is it hel- actually helping? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I think that will have to be answered in the third one as well. Would you want to see that? Like, what has happened after? This like how it affected people is that what like what would how do you want that solved? 
I, no, I just want it solved in the sense of who who is the I and why are they do. Oh, okay, this, right? so going much, back to your first, question. much like well, much like Jesse Eisenberg's character Atlas, uh, you know, who who is in charge? And I, I, these are the four people that I care about the most. Right. And so, you know, and it was kind of set up in that way, like that Jesse Woods take over as the leader mm-hmm. um, for for it seems like Dylan, but then it like how much of a leader. Is Dylan in the grand scheme of things? Got it. Okay, that yeah. No, you know? I, I get that. It's it's how the eye like correlates to this group. Or he was just the fifth horseman, <laughs> maybe. Because I mean, he was pretty busy trying to figure out his father's storyline. So, mm-hmm. well, he was. It's it's like X Men. He was the apocalypse to the four horsemen. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, anything else to add as we wrap this up? I, I definitely think this movie has a rewatchability factor. I think um, so. As as the first one did too. Um, overall, it's a, it's a I think it's a fairly solid movie. I, I think the reveals were there for me personally. I thought there were some cool reveals, but the whole end reveal with the whole plane uh, that it just didn't been better. yeah that didn't pack the punch that the first one did in the mm-hmm. first movie and, and setting up everyone else. Like it was like oh it was just a big prop. That was it. Yeah, I um, I agree with that. I overall thought this was like a fun summer blockbuster. Definitely something you can watch again, and I think you would notice new things and kind of maybe see more of the way the magic was done and some of the cinematography. All of that was was really well done. It was just I think that final act or the final thirty minutes of this movie that left me just wanting something else. I was like, oh this I just want it to get pushed a little yeah. further along. I mean it made sense because obviously they, they reuse the two the the trickery that initially was used to catch them, right? Mm-hmm. With the switching of the pipe, um mm-hmm. so forth and whatnot. So and they tricked you know, they tricked them in that regard. Um so they set it up. It just didn't quite live up to it. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you guys for joining us. As always, once again, check out The Duel coming out June 24th, which is next Friday, in theaters and on demand, starring our friend Woody Harrelson um, and Liam Hemsworth. Another Lionsgate movie. In the meantime, where can the people follow you, Stephanie? You can find me at Stephanie Wanger on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at Seraphine TV. That's right. And leave a comment. Let us know what you guys thought of the movie. Did you guys enjoy it? Which was your favorite magic trick? Um, Are you excited for the third one? What would you like to see in the third one? Um, So on, so forth. And if there's any um, cool stuff that you were able to learn, because, again, as of right now, we we do the movie uh, uh, anatomies a week after the movie comes out. Right now, the research is thin. So as things come out, you know, just share with us and the rest of the fans publicly. You know, I think that's part of... What we love doing is sharing information, um, and not just us to you, but you to us, and vice versa, so forth. Um, anyway, thank you guys for joining us. We'll be doing The Conjuring 2 as well. Um, we'll be doing Finding Dory. We've got a lot coming up, um, so definitely check it out. Um, and if there's movies that you've seen recently and, and haven't caught the anatomy yet, definitely check it out. At this point, we've done over 250 movies, so we have quite an extensive library I don't think we did. Now you see me one, unfortunately. I don't think we were around in 2013. But, you know, we would have. Unfortunately, we just didn't. Um, (laughs) Anyway, see you guys for now.
producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.